0: And we're glad that you're here today at Arise Baptist Church. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer today, ask Him to bless our service this morning. We need His help today. Father, we thank You for this wonderful day that we can come together and worship You. Lord, we thank You for what You're doing in our church. We thank You uh, for what You're doing in people's hearts and lives. Lord, I thank You for those that even this week have been through some very difficult things, but Lord, You're using it in their lives to point them towards You. Lord, we thank you that we can come and worship you together today. We thank you that Jesus truly does save. Lord, we thank you for the salvation work that you've done even in hearts this week. Think of the man who trusted Christ yesterday, and we praise the Lord for that. God, you're so good to us. You've blessed us so much. Help us to be reminded of that today, to be refocused on you today, that we would go from here ready to serve you whatever you call us to do throughout this week. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, we have a number of exciting things to do today. And uh, before we go any further in the service, I'd like to just take some time. And we have a few graduates we want to recognize this morning. And uh, so let's see. I think we have Sophie is first this morning. Is Sophie in here? There she is. Sophie's our 8th grade graduate. coming up here, Sophie. We've got a book for you. Thankful for her hard work, congratulations, high school, so we're proud of her for doing that, and we, you can stay up here for just a second because we have a couple of kindergarten grads too, I, I know we have at least one of them here, I don't think Boo's here this morning, but we'll save hers and recognize her next week when she's here, there's her picture of her graduation, but Carissa wore her gown today, so come on up Carissa, and we'll recognize you finished in kindergarten, good work. You can stand over here by Sophie. Oh, your tassel went off. There we go. All right. Well, we want to give congratulations to these children and also to their parents and all the hard work. Let's give them another hand. Good work. You can be seated. Good job. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well, excited for them and excited for all that they're doing. You know there's lots of work represented in that time and look forward to recognize others as they complete different milestones in their life as well. Speaking of milestones, next Sunday, or I guess this Sunday technically is officially Promotion Sunday, so by next Sunday, those that are moving up into the youth group will be doing that, and those that are moving into into the different classes and things for the children, they'll be doing that as well, so we're very excited for them to be able to move up and do those things. Sure i am excited, looking forward to this Saturday. For our youth rally. That'll be our some of our teenagers coming up into the youth group and we'll have teens from several churches here for that day on Saturday, June the first. It starts at eleven o'clock. So hope you make plans to be here for that. I mentioned in my prayer this morning, but wanted to praise the Lord uh, for a man that trusted Christ yesterday and just around the corner over here. So praise the Lord for that. Pray for us as we continue to go and visit with him and encourage him in the Lord. Thankful for faithful folks out sharing. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. I was also encouraged this morning even to get a text from somebody who said, Pastor, yesterday for the first time I led somebody else in prayer. I prayed together with somebody out loud. And you think, well, what is that? Well, for those who've been saved a long time, maybe you don't remember your first time. But for those of you who haven't, that's a big step. And I'm thankful for that, that somebody would do that as well. Thankful for God's working in people's hearts and in people's lives. Well, this morning, Freddie's going to come and read to us from God's Word, John 17, verses 20 through 26. We're finishing up this wonderful chapter of Jesus' prayer as he prepares to go to the cross. Freddie, why don't you come and read that scripture to us here?
1: Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them.
0: Well, we'll be dismissing our children out to their junior church time. Brother Josh and Sister Anna, thankful for all the work that they do with them. They're hearing from the same Bible that you're hearing from. They're hearing the same truth that you're hearing. And I'm thankful for folks who will take it and put it right where they can understand and make it simple for them because God's Word is applicable to all of us, isn't it? Word of God, the Bible says, is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles if you haven't already. to John chapter 17 this morning. John chapter 17. We've looked at this chapter in three different pieces. The first two weeks ago as we looked at the beginning of Jesus' prayer. As Jesus prayed for himself and prayed that he would be ready to go to what God had called him to do, and what had God called Jesus to do? Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came, and he came to be crucified. He was born to die so that he would then rise again, giving us victory over sin and over death. And so Jesus prayed for himself as he prepared for this very, very difficult time that he would go through. And I'm so thankful that God gave him the strength to go through this time. Jesus then continues on in his prayer as he prayed for his disciples, those that followed him. And I think as we looked last week, there's a lot of things we can learn from that portion of Jesus' prayer, really in two pieces. He prayed for perseverance, that they would continue in their faith, that they would continue to have the joy of the Lord, that God would give them strength to go through He prayed for perseverance or or for preservation, I think is how we put it last week. And he also prayed for their sanctification. That God would sanctify them through his truth. In verse 17, he says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. To be sanctified means to be cleaned up, to be set apart, to be used for something special. Then we saw in the next few verses there, that Christ has sent His disciples out into the world. He wanted His disciples to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be used for something special, to be used, to be sent out. And then we saw in verse 19, as Jesus said, And for their sakes I sanctify Myself. Jesus set Himself apart. He put Himself in a special place. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that He made Himself of no reputation. And he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus set himself apart to do what God had called him to do. Said Jesus back in verse 19 of John 17, He sanctified Himself so that they may also, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. And as we think about that in our own lives, what has God called us to set ourselves apart to do? So that we might, through our testimony, through our service, through our witness, through our faithfulness to the Lord, that others might be sanctified as well. God's given us a wonderful charge to do that. But let's look now in verse 20. I want to read, our first point really comes from verses 20 through 23. Jesus says, neither I pray for these alone. So he's not just praying for his disciples that are on the earth right now at that point in time. He said, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Think about what he just said. Jesus is praying for you. If you've believed on Jesus Christ, if you know that you have eternal life through Christ, you are included in verse number 20. He says, I don't just pray for these alone, but for them also which shall believe. It hadn't happened yet. Can you think about that? Jesus, some 2,000 years ago, because He's God, could look all the way down through all the years, centuries, to where you are right now. And He prayed for you. He said, but through which shall believe on me through their word. I mean, think about where this started. Jesus is speaking in this prayer. He's praying to God. Around Him are some 11 faithful disciples. It was a pretty small group, ragtag bunch. They didn't have any money. Judas had stolen all of it. They didn't have any power. The Romans were in authority. And yet, Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, took these 11 men, sent them out into the world. And the Bible says they turned the world upside down. And you and I have the message of truth because of the faithful witness of those 11. Isn't that wonderful to think about? And Jesus is praying for you. Then he continues on in verse 21, that they all may be one. Here he gets specific in his prayer. He's praying that we might all be one, that we would have unity. He says, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. So There's an idea of making them complete in him. He says, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and as love them, as Thou hast loved me. Jesus makes a tremendous point here about His desire for, and He's praying towards unity. I would tell you this: from studying God's Word, we can very clearly see unity is godly; division is demonic. You know, if you go back through and you study the pages of Scripture, God created Adam and Eve, right? Clear back in Genesis chapter 1. He created them, and the Bible says He would come down and He would fellowship with them. He'd spend time with them. There was unity. There was harmony. What did Satan come in and do, though? He came in and he tempted Eve. He said, if you eat of that tree, ye shall not... Surely die? He said, if you'll eat of that, you'll become like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. He was tempting him, tempting Adam and Eve with that desire for their own ability, their own pride, their own way. He created division. You know, this wasn't the first time Satan had created division. The Bible teaches us that Satan, in fact, was one of the angels created by God. His name was Lucifer. The Bible says he was in heaven. In fact, he was a beautiful angel. But one day he desired to become equal with or even above God. In fact, he recruited, the Bible teaches us, a third of the angels to follow him. He took unity and he brought division. And God cast him down to earth with all of those angels, now demons. You see, unity is godly. Division is demonic. Jesus is praying that they all may be one. What is it that separates us from God? It's our sin. It's our sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." It's sin that separates from God. See, there's a problem of unity. We can't have unity with God when we are in sin. That's why we needed Jesus Christ to bring unity between God and man. See, Jesus is praying, that they would be one. He said, as thou Father art in me. He gets into this discussion and helps us to better understand a little bit about the Trinity. See, here at our church, we believe that there is one God, but that He exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. There's three in one. And Jesus here as He's speaking to the Father, He's praying that we would be one as He is one with The Father. You see, this is there, there is a relational aspect to the Trinity. It's not just an organization, there's a relationship that goes on there. Unity starts with God. There is no true unity without God. People can get unified around a particular issue or around a particular topic. People can get excited about something, but true unity comes through God. The Son talks to the Father, the Father to the Son. God is unified. He's relational. He is one in three. You know, I believe, as this passage is teaching here, he says that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, Look at it, the end of verse 21, that the world may believe. You see, we're better together. The Bible here is teaching that there is a singularity of headship in the Trinity, the Father. But there's a plurality of leadership. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all work together. You know, that example is repeated for us in the home. The, the wife is not inferior to the husband. The Bible doesn't teach that. But rather, there's submission of the wife to the husband. Husband provides headship, but the husband and wife together both provide leadership in the home. Now, the, the same thing happens in a church. God has put an order in the church, there's headship in the church, but there's leadership among many who are leading out for the cause of Christ. See, unity begins with God. Unity continues in the home. Unity should be happening in the church. Think about it. In heaven right now, there's no division. There is complete unity. As we operate by God's grace to be a unified people, we are demonstrating the character and the culture of God. Jesus' prayer in the upper room was with 11 disciples. Judas had left. He had rebelled. He he left to go betray Jesus. He opened his heart to Satan and Satan's temptation. Rebellion is always sin. Rebellion against God, rebellion against truth. Is always wrong. We we live in a culture today that often celebrates disunity, celebrates rebellion. You know, they need to go out and experience a few things. Rebel for a while. It'll teach them some good lessons. Folks, that's not the way God wants you to live your life. If you've lived your life there, praise God He forgives. Praise God He loves lost people. But you don't have to go that way. You see, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. There is unity, though. I want to stress this point. There is unity without uniformity. So while there's unity in the Godhead, they all function together. They all work together. They have different functions, different things that they do, different tasks that they perform. I think that's important as we think about a home, right? There's different tasks being performed in the home. That's okay. That's not a lack of unity. Same thing happens in a church. We ought to have unity, not uniformity. You say, what are you trying to explain? Think of it this way, the difference between a home and a prison. In a prison, you have uniformity. Everybody wears a uniform. Everybody eats the same thing. Everybody has to walk on the same lines. Everybody has to follow exactly the same rules. They want there to be complete uniformity. In a home, there's unity. People wear different clothing. They sleep in different size rooms. They have different schedules and things as they go about taking care of things. Why? Because... Maybe the husband, he's out taking care of his things. The wife is taking care of her things. The children are doing what they're supposed to be doing. But it all comes together in a good home, and there's wonderful unity. This is what Jesus was praying for, that we would be one, as God is one with the Son. Same thing should happen in a church. I'm thankful this is not a cult. If it was a cult, we'd all look exactly the same. We'd be wearing the exact same clothes. We'd be, you know, saying exactly the same things. If you get into a place like that, you're in the wrong place. We're not here trying to create <coughs> uniformity, but rather unity around Christ. That's why you may make some different choices than I make in your home. And that's Okay if it's your goal, to put Christ first. You may choose to educate your children differently than how I educate my children. That's okay as long as you put Christ first. You may work in a different occupation than I do, and that's a good thing because if this whole church was just preachers, we'd be a really poor church, okay? (laughs) I'm teasing, it's more than that, though. There's so many different gifts and abilities and things necessary to fulfill what God has called us to do as a church. See, Jesus, His desire is for unity. But too often, as human beings, we like to step past unity into uniformity. You see, unity is relational. Uniformity is organizational. It feels safe to get put into an organization. Here's my slot. Here's what I do. Here's where I go. I'm in the organization. It's a little more work sometimes to build the relationships necessary. See, people don't come to Christ. People are not made into true disciples of Jesus Christ just because we have a great organization. And I'm not against organizations. I'm just saying if we stress the organization over the relationship. I think we've lost our purpose, lost our focus. Jesus is preaching, or Jesus' prayer is for unity. Sometimes it's more comfortable to be in an organization. because when I'm in an organization, I don't have to worry too much about what goes on outside of my little world. But when you're in a relationship, all of a sudden, You're caring and concerned about what other people are doing. You're concerned about the person who's missed a few weeks at church. Are they sick? Are they in the hospital? Something happened? Why? Because you have a relationship with them. It's a lot easier to cut somebody off when they're just in an organization. We can hire and fire. It's a lot more difficult when we have a relationship with them. Jesus died on the cross so that we could have a relationship with God. If you're saved this morning, understand you haven't just been brought into some organization. You've been brought into a relationship with God. Are you treating it like a relationship should be treated? Or are you just treating it like, well, I, you know, I've, I've, I look like I'm supposed to on the outside? I'm going to the places I'm supposed to go. I'm not going to the places I'm not supposed to go. Therefore, I'm okay. I've got the organization right. What's your relationship like this morning? Relationship takes time. It takes effort. It's a giving of yourself. You have to be honest in a relationship for it to work. Confessing your sins to God. Staying right with Him. A good relationship can't be faked. You can show up to work and put on a happy face. People do it at church too. You can pretend, sort of fit into the organization, but the relationship will not be what it should. Jesus is desiring for there to be a relationship between us and God and between us and our fellow believers. He said that they all may be one. See, that sounds like a lot of work because I look across the room, there's some people here. Mm -mm." No, that's not the way it should be. See, if you take two people, all right, Trevor and Micah, you're down front, so come on up. This is the tough part about being pastor's kids. You get called up. But they're going to illustrate something for us. Trevor, you stand over here. On this side of the stage, go over there on the corner of the stage. Mike, you go over on that corner of the stage. We're going to use God's Word here in the middle to represent God. Now, these are brothers. They get along pretty well. They're good friends. They're not perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? But they're, they're doing pretty well. But if, if these brothers want to get together in church, let's pretend they don't know each other super well, or maybe they do, but they want to get closer Mike, if you get closer to God, the Bible representing God here today, as you come closer to God, and Trevor, as you come closer to God, what happens to them relationally? They're closer to each other, aren't they? They're closer to each other. But see, sometimes in some churches and in organizations, even in families, we take God out of the equation. And when that gets taken out of the equation... Yeah, we may move around, we may be closer for a while, may be farther away for a while, but this is the thing I, I love about the Christian relationship with God. Let's say one of these guys is closer to God, but the other guy, he strays away. Micah, you're straying away. <laughs> but this guy who's firmly attached to God, he's much better equipped to reach out and encourage this guy and bring him back, isn't he? Because he has the Lord. Versus a human relationships without God. It's just you against the world. I'm so thankful that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You see, these guys are closer together if God is the center of the relationship. Husbands and wives, the same thing will work for your marriage. Folks, if you'll put God first, He'll put you where He wants you to be. No, it doesn't immediately fix every human relationship in your life. But when you're one with the Father, it sure makes all those human relationships begin to function more like they should. Thank you, boys. See, unity is not... Uniformity. Unity is relational, not organizational. Really to follow on that, unity is not around methods so much as it should be around truth. So what do you mean by that? Well, I mentioned some a, a couple minutes ago. You may have your children being educated at home. That's one method of educating your children. You may be educating your children utilizing a Christian school, that's another method. You may have your children in a public school, that's another method of educating them. You may have them in some other kind of private school, that's another method. And we could argue about which method is the best method and have different methods. But the most important thing is that the goal is Christ likeness. And that we as parents understand it's our responsibility to help our children walk with the Lord. But here's what happens in a lot of places. People get and they start arguing about methods. You might have two people that both desire the same thing. They're just coming at it from a different direction. But if they're both headed towards Christ as the center, so unity begins with God. Then praise the Lord. That's what we want. That's unity. Unity is not just around methods. You say, well, is it just with schooling? Well, see, the truth is it's train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he shall not depart from it. Ask yourself the question, is your child, is my child growing in godliness? Maybe my child needs a little bit different environment than your child. That's okay. The goal is training them up into Christ's likeness. You know, in the New Testament, the the Bible says this, Greet one another with an holy kiss. I didn't see anybody kissing each other as they came in this morning. Maybe you did. There might be some single guys in here that would have been happy about that, but that's not, it's not what we're going for, right? You say, why? Because it's a different culture. Now, in some cultures, it'd be very normal to If, if we went down, it, when I was down in the, in the church down in Cuernavaca in Mexico, it was very different how people greeted each other. You wouldn't have thought that strange at all. Here, we would just maybe shake hands or there might be a hug. You go to some places in the world and And you don't even shake hands. You wouldn't touch them. You might bow. Those are different methods, right? But the goal is, the principle is, that we ought to be greeting one another warmly in love. Right? Simple truth. See, unity is around the truth. It's around the principle. It's around God's Word. It's not around methods. Some of you got here this morning in a van. Some of you got here in a car. Sometimes we have people come that walk. That's great. That's different methods, but the goal was the same, to come to church and worship God together. There are different ways that we can share the gospel with others. Some of you are sharing the gospel with some coworkers. I heard some stories this week of people that had opportunity to share Christ with others. You know, this morning, I was picking up donuts at at Shipley like I do, and I was talking with some of the guys down there I talked with, and one of them said, hey, you're a preacher. What do you think about all this Roe versus Wade stuff? What do you think about all this abortion stuff? And I said, well, I can give you my opinion, but let me show you what the Bible says in Psalm 139. How God formed us even when we were in our mother's womb. How His, he, he, he wrought our... Parts. I'm paraphrasing here, curiously wrought our parts as He he understood us even from the moment of conception. And and then I said, well, and, and think of Jeremiah. He talks about that God had a plan for his life even before he was born. I said, this is what the Bible says. And he goes, that's right. Praise the Lord. See, you can share Christ at the donut shop. You can share Christ at your office. You can share Christ on Brinkman Street. And people can hear the gospel, and they should if we have the testimony for Christ. The Unity is not around methods. Unity is around truth. Uniformity happens around methods. And please don't misunderstand me. Methods aren't bad. But we've got to make sure that Christ is the center, not the method as the center. So these are some things that unity is not. It's not uniformity. It's not organizational. It's not around methods. Three things unity is. Unity is God at the center. God first. Jesus said that they all may be one as Thou Father art in Me and I in Thee. Unity is the result of loving, humble service. Jesus is about to die on the cross. He's ready to serve us through His death. He's going in humility. He said to God, Not my will, but Thine be done. Unity is the result of loving, humble service. You'll see proud people fight with other proud people. But I don't think you've ever seen One humble person fighting with another humble person. They serve one another. They work together. Jesus Christ humbled Himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I would tell you, unity is also power for a cause or mission. See, there was great power that came about through the unity that these people displayed, and that the unity that God desires for us to have. You see it there at the end of verse 21 that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That's some power. So that the world might believe. Isn't that what we want? For everyone to believe on Jesus Christ as their Savior, to follow him? How's that gonna happen? John 17 says, There's great power in unity. It's Jesus' desire that if we are unified together, we're unified with God, that the world will believe. But what does the world often see when they see the church? They see people that badmouth each other. They see people that don't live any differently from the world. They're not separate from the world. In fact, as you go through all of John 17, you see over and over Jesus talking about how he's not praying for the world. You say, what's the world? He's not referring to unsaved people. Jesus is praying for unsaved people. It's referring to the world system. The Greek word is cosmos. This is the system of of evil. This is the counterfeit system that Satan has set up that is contrary to God's plan. Unity is power for a cause or a mission. You go back to Genesis 11, you don't need to turn there right now, but you could go read the story of the Tower of Babel. As the people became unified together to build this tower so that they might make their own way to God. A lot of people trying to find their own way to God. That's not unity, that's division. You see, you have division when you don't share God's vision. There is division when you don't share God's vision. I believe Jesus' prayer is being answered right here at our church. and I believe it will continue to be answered if we will be unified around the truth of God's Word and have Jesus Christ as our head. Think about it. Look what happens when people work together. People get saved. When people go out together and share the gospel. People are being baptized. Marriages are being restored. Another church has been started here. And Lord willing, we'll get to be a part of starting another church here very soon. Missionaries are being supported. God's work is being done. Praise the Lord. Friend of mine this morning, who's he was here about a year ago, Chris Brown. He's starting a church up in Ferguson, Missouri. He shared something out this morning. The place where they were supposed to meet today, where they've been meeting since they started a few months ago, all of a sudden, yesterday, calls and says, Sorry, you can't meet here. Can you imagine if I had to call you all this morning and say, Sorry, we've we're, we're, we got to go meet somewhere else for church, you can't come here? You know, how challenging that would be. I sent him a little note and said, Chris, I just want you to know we love you. We're, gonna, we're praying for you. I prayed for Chris this morning. I said, I know you may not have all the people you want to have today because some of them are going to go to the other place and they're not going to be able to find you today. Imagine if you came to church today and no one was here and you're like, something happened. Did the rapture happen? Did I miss it? Did they all move and they didn't tell me what happened? That would be kind of demoralizing, discouraging. Imagine if you were coming as a first-time guest, someone invited and you showed up and no one was here. You'd say, someone played a nasty trick on us. You see, when you do something for God, don't be surprised when there's opposition. But see, when you're unified, when you're in unity with God, God can still work even in that situation. You know, this is a week God's going to provide the place where they need to meet. God's going to take care of their church. A couple weeks ago, he, he said, praise the Lord, we had 27 people in church. Amen. That's exciting when they only started with like 10. We got excited when we had 27 in church for the first time. The 27 of you that were here are nodding your heads because you remember. It's exciting. God's work gets accomplished when we're in unity with God's vision. So, Jesus continues on, though, in this prayer. He really stresses this idea of unity. Let me just read to you again here, verse 22. He says, The glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Isn't that wonderful to think about? Jesus' glory as he lifts up the Father. He's given that to us. We have the opportunity to be able to glorify God now because of what Christ has done for us. We don't get to bring glory to God on our own. We bring glory to God when we accomplish His purpose. Jesus said it in verse 23, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect. We're complete with Christ. Without Him, We just are, we have a big missing part. We have a big hole. He says, and that the world may know. He reiterates what he said back in verse 20. That they shall believe on me through their word. Verse 23, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Boy, there's so much there. I would ask you, in the way that you live, your relationship with God your relationship with your other fellow believers in the church. Is that a testimony to others that you've been sent just like Christ had been sent? That you love others, that you love each other as you should, and that Christ then loves them? I've heard testimonies, very recently in fact, I heard a story, this is a very sad story, this is an extreme case. It is. Heard of a lady. She was visiting a church. A pastor friend of mine told me this story. This happened in his church. A lady visited the church. She made a comment on Facebook about how thankful she was she had been invited to this church. This lady wasn't a Christian, didn't know Christ as her Savior. Some other person in the church, they're standing for truth but not doing it in love. They jumped on her post and said, why are you saying this? This is not your church. You're not saved. If you were to die right now, you would burn in hell. They actually wrote that. You know what this lady's friends got on? She said, it sounds like you've joined a cult. It does sound like that, doesn't it? There was a desire for uniformity not unity. I felt so sad for this pastor who had to go to this family and tell that lady, he said, unless God intervenes, you've done irreparable harm to this woman because of what you've said. That's not unity, is it? He said, well, that's bad. Those people should be flogged, right? Maybe they should. But what do our attitudes and our actions tell other people about who Christ is and about the love that God has sent us? Yes, there's truth, and we ought to stand for truth. But speak it in love because you care about people. Aren't you thankful that somebody loved you enough to tell you that Jesus saves? We're not doing it out of hate. We're not doing it to push people away. No, we don't want people to be able to stay in their sin. We want them to come to Christ. We want them to do right. But it's our unity, our love, one for another. It's important. It's important. See, unity means it's not about me. I'm not selfish. I don't get to put my desires first. It's about putting Christ first. Unity Jesus then says in verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Jesus prays that we might behold his glory which God has given him. We glorify God because he is glorious. I would tell you this, Everyone glorifies someone or something. What you say and what you do is glorifying something. People glorify their favorite sports team. They know all about it. They tell everyone about it. People glorify their relationships with their family members. Maybe it's their grandchildren, right? We all glorify someone or something. Sometimes we glorify ourselves. That's all we can talk about. Look what I did and look, look what I can do. And, you know, I want to show off, make sure I get everything right so that everybody thinks I'm this great person. We're about glorifying ourselves. Jesus' desire, Jesus' prayer in verse 24 was that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. It was Jesus' desire that we would know Him fully. He says that they may behold my glory. Think about these men that Jesus is praying in front of. Peter, James, and John would have been in that group. Peter, James, and John were with Jesus when He went to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw a little bit of Jesus' glory that day. It's Jesus' desire that we would behold His glory as well, that we would better understand Him, better know Him. The Bible says that God resisteth the proud, but He giveth grace unto the humble. Jesus lived in glory because He came down in humility. He died, rose, and then returned back to His glory. We too can live in glory with Christ as we live in obedience to Him. When you think of Jesus, don't just think of Him here on this earth. Think of Him in glory. Think of Him as He truly is, high and exalted up. The Bible says back in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And His train filled the temple. Think about that. The temple there in that day was probably the biggest building that they could imagine seeing. And he's describing it as if just the back of his garment filled the entire temple. In other words, God is bigger than you can even imagine him to be. It says, Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twenty covered his face, with twenty covered his feet, and with twenty did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. I would tell you today in 2019, as we look around this world, we would say, the whole earth is not full of His glory. But I want you to know today that there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will return to rule and to reign. And what Isaiah saw that day will be reality. The whole earth will be full of His Glory, And we have a responsibility now and a great privilege, yes, even now, to bring glory to God through what we say, through what we do, as we are in unity together with Christ as our head, bringing glory to God. What was Isaiah's response because that he saw God's glory, because he saw the holiness of God? Of God, verse 4, and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am a man undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Less of me, more of God. Lord, Humble me so that I might glorify you. This was Jesus' prayer for His disciples that they may behold my glory which God has given me. The Bible says back in Isaiah 6 and verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it, Upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. When we bring glory to God as we should, it's because God has washed away our sin. And when we live before Him as we should, we bring glory to Him. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. What happens when we glorify God? God purifies us and He sends us out after He's humbled us. We spend too much time thinking about our own glory, trying to fulfill our own desires, not living in unity with God fighting over methods and issues and little secondary issues instead of saying, no, Christ, Christ is first. We ought to be in unity with Him. Lifting up the name of Jesus, bringing glory to God. I think sometimes we wonder, well, why isn't God using me like I want to be used? Are you bringing glory to Him with what you say and what you do? Are you putting him first? Are you so caught up in the distractions and frustrations and discouragements and temptations of this world that you've not stopped to give glory to God? Isaiah's response Hear my Lord, send me. Whatever your view of Jesus is, he's bigger. He's grander. He's greater. He's unbelievable. The limits of the human mind mean that we are always straining to get a bigger view of who He is and what He can do. And I would tell you, this is Jesus' desire for us, that we might behold His glory. And I would tell you, if you just get a glimpse of the glory of God, if you just get a little piece of seeing what God can do, It will motivate you. It will encourage you. It will give you strength and joy to continue on in service for the Lord. Because you've seen what God can do. Brother Ed and I last night listened to a sermon from a preacher who talked about this idea that he would just go on for the Lord. Why can he go on for the Lord? Because you've seen His glory. Why do you still get up and try to serve God and put God first? Because you understand the glory of God is at stake. Why do you want to tell somebody about Jesus Christ? Because you've beheld His glory. I would encourage you this morning, if your heart is not on fire for God today, stop, get in His Word, humble yourself, Behold His glory. Behold His glory. And then He finishes out verse 25 and 26. So much here. Running out of time, but I'm going to do my best to finish. John 17, 25 and 26. O righteous Father, the world hath not known Thee, but I have known Thee. And these have known that Thou hast sent me. We live in a world today that doesn't know God. But if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you know Him. He says in verse 26, And I have declared unto them Thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith Thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus finishes out this prayer. He's right back talking about unity. See, we're Jesus', Jesus is rescue crew. Notice he says in the middle of verse 26, I've declared unto them thy name and will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. That Jesus' love would be in us and that as we go forth, we'd share the love of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Jesus here speaks of His goal that the glory of God would be manifested in the love of His saints for one another and in the love of His saints for the lost. Verses 1-5 through of John 17, Jesus prayed for Himself. Verses 6 through 19, Jesus prayed for his disciples. In verses 20 through 26, Jesus prays for non-believers, those who would be believers. That's you and me. Over and over and over, he prays against the world. He prays for everyone, but he prays against this world system. You see, everything on earth went wrong when Adam and Eve chose their own way over God's way. So God sent His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus fought the battle over sin and over death, and He won. Satan tried over and over again to destroy Jesus. He tried to destroy Him when He was a baby. See how did He do that? By moving in the heart of Herod the king to try and kill all the babies in Bethlehem. They killed all the babies that night, except one, because God came to Joseph in a dream and said, get out. Take your wife, take your child, get to safety, and he did. Satan tried to destroy Jesus again through temptation. Tempted him three times, the Bible says, yet without sin. Because Jesus, the first, second, and third time, used the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to defeat the temptation of Satan. Satan also tried to destroy Jesus on the cross. The religious leaders thought they'd won that day. The Roman government thought they'd won that day. Three days later, Jesus proved them all wrong when He rose from the dead. You see, Jesus prays some 18 times over these 26 verses in chapter 17. He prays against the world. In John 17 and verse 6, Jesus says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. See, Jesus saves people out of the world. We see, secondly, that Jesus is against the world. Verse 9, Jesus said, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. He's against the world. But for them which thou hast given me, For they are thine. The truth is, if you are for Jesus, you will be against some things. Jesus prays against the world. We ought to stand for truth against unrighteousness. But you can love people and hate sin. Sometimes it's hard for us to differentiate the two. We look at somebody and we see the effects of sin all over their life, all over their body, all over their choices, what they say, what they smell like. I mean, you you carried out in your imagination. You know what I'm talking about. You say, I, I don't have any time for them. Jesus did. Jesus died for them. Their problem is not because they're inferior to you. Their problem is they're a sinner that hasn't been forgiven like you have. You and I are no more special than them in our intrinsic humanity. They're all important to God. That's why He sent Jesus to die for everyone. Folks, let's get off our high horse of pride and go share the love of Christ with someone. We can stand against the world. And we can still love people because people and the world are not synonymous. It's two separate things. There is a world system that's working in people, but it's because they need the love of Christ. Jesus is against the world. Jesus also promised that there would be war in the world. In verse 11 of John 17, Jesus said, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. That's talking about his disciples. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. And look down at verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Don't be surprised when the world hates you, if you're doing what God has called you to do. Why? Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I mean, have you ever paused to think about this? As worshipers of Jesus, we are worshiping someone that the world hated. We're worshiping someone that they murdered. Why would we do that? Because He's God. Because He died for your sin and for my sin. We're not doing this because it's the popular thing to do. Now, over the years, at various points in history, the world has tried to co-opt Christianity into its system. Governments have taken over and declared Christianity is the religion of this nation. What happens, though? Every single time that happened, it went away from true godliness and a relationship with Him and just became an outward show, and pretty soon it devolved into all kinds of wickedness. Churches have tried to take over and declare that they are in charge, not God. Every time that's happened, it's fallen apart. And every time it's happened, more and more people have been turned away from God. See, when you look out right now, you'd have to say, just from our perspective, without thinking about God being in charge... The world is winning. Satan's done a pretty good job. But folks, it's not over yet. If you go to the end of the book of Revelation, the last word is not, oh me, it's amen. (laughs) Jesus wins. Folks, we got to serve Him right here today. You say, well, how am I going to Deal with the lies. How am I going to deal with the hate? Respond with truth. i will being honest with you this morning at the Donut Place when those guys asked me that question this morning. We live in a culture today. I thought, I don't know what I'm about to get myself into. So I didn't give them my opinion. I just said, here's what the Bible says. Folks, if you'll do that, they may not like it. Had a guy this week, went up to him to share the gospel with him, and before I could even get words out of my mouth, he just looked at me said, I'm an atheist. Walked on by. Folks, that's sad. If you don't believe in God, why are you fighting so hard against him? I and mean, if he doesn't even exist, it shouldn't bother you at all, what I have to say. But it bothers them because there's conviction going on in their heart. Folks, when you stand for truth, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Jesus said, our mission is in the world. In John 17, verse 15, Jesus said, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Here it is, verse 18, as thou hast sent me into the world even have I also sent them into the world your mission is in the world but what do a lot of Christians do they remove themselves so entirely from the world so that they might never have to see anyone or come across anybody that doesn't think like them or talk like them so well, I don't know if my neighbors are saved or not are you friends with them are you sharing the truth with them Have you ever had them over to your house for a meal? Well, I don't know. My coworkers and I, we just don't talk about those things. God sent you on a mission into the world. So often we put our blinders on and we just live only looking at the people we want to look at, only seeing the people that kind of look like us, make us feel good. Folks, that's We're we're living and accomplishing a purpose that's not God's purpose. He sent us into the world. Our mission is in the world. What a prayer that Jesus prayed. You can't make it through this world without the truth of God. God didn't bring you here. He didn't put you here just to have fun. God didn't bring you here, put you here to perfect your golf game. God didn't bring you here and put you here just so you could watch sports and have a good time. God put you here on a mission. Jesus sent you here because people don't know that God is truly real and that Jesus saves sinners. When there's a fire, we would call the fire department, wouldn't we? Come here and put this fire out. If if there was a crime taking place, we would call the police and say, Come deal with this criminal. When a wicked dictator takes over a country, we send in the soldiers. We are Jesus' rescue crew, His soldiers, His firemen, His policemen. Jesus said in verse 26, I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus has sent us into the world to declare the love of Jesus Christ. There's a world that's in danger. People all around us in danger of dying and spending eternity separated from God in hell. They need the love of Jesus. There are many Christians even today, people who have believed in Jesus Christ, but they're living for the world, not for Christ, because they've allowed the things of this world to become more dear to them than the things of Christ. Folks, they need the truth. Let's tell them. I'm so thankful for what God's doing here, but folks, I don't want it to stop. We need God's blessing if we're going to continue forward. We can't do it without Him. It's not about an organization. It's not about a personality. It's not about having a better show than the place down the road. It's about sharing the love of Jesus Christ through the truth of God's Word. But that requires that you and I, we be unified. Unity, right? Having unity before Christ. Christ is our head. That we bring glory to God. God, what am I doing? Is this this something you would have me to do? Is this the truth or am I just living for myself right now? And as we share the love of Christ, that all may know that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Would you bow with me for prayer? Father, I thank you that you chose to inspire John to record this prayer of Jesus for us. That we could learn for from it by example how we ought to better pray. Also, we can learn from it of what Christ's desires were and and therefore your desire is for us, what your will is for us. God, as we've studied through this chapter together, the more I study, the more I think there's so much more could be said. But Lord, there's really specific things that we need to be doing and living for you. I pray for each one that's here today. Lord, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as a Savior, pray that they'd be saved. Lord, for those that know you as Savior, I pray that they would commit to following you as they should. or to put aside their petty differences and put Christ in the center of their life. That they'd walk with you as they should. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.